0: Writers Get Animated is now the number one podcast on iTunes. It's a rock fact! It's not a rock fact. Stay tuned.
1: Good day and welcome to Writers Get Animated, a podcast about storytelling, animation, and this week, fable slash fairy tales slash Halloween spookiness-ish? I'm Chris Leva.
0: And I'm Mackenzie Worrell.
1: And today we are going and speaking about Over the Garden Wall. See how I. Oh, I, I see we did there. Thank you.
0: It's a, grammatic, it's a grammatical structure thing. Yeah. Um, joining us on our journey this week, we have a very special guest, friend of the podcast, Phil Fine. Hello, Phil.
2: Hey, guys. Thanks for having me.
0: Thank you. Uh, I'm so excited to be doing the show this week because it's, uh, as we mentioned, Over the Garden Wall, which is not really a current topic, just a perennial favorite topic. <laughs> um, it's a very like autumnal, kind of Halloween-esque uh, Cartoon Network miniseries in ten parts or five episodes on iTunes of chapter one, chapter two, chapter three, chapter four, etc. Um, and I love this. And I had actually never heard of it till Phil introduced me to it. So, Phil, thank you for introducing me to Over the Garden Wall.
2: Yeah, yeah, no no problem. It was um, something, I guess I was introduced to it by a, a friend of mine who's, from growing up, has always been super into animation. He's gotten me into all the... Things before they were super popular, like Venture Brothers, Rick and Morty. Uh, And he just randomly sent me a link to Over the Garden Wall when it was first airing and it was streaming on Cartoon Network and totally sucked me in. Um, And now it's, I basically just watch it every year in the fall because it's the perfect fall cartoon. And just the, you know, the animation, the stories, and everything we're going to talk about today really is just like super cool. And that's why, as soon as you started this podcast, I started bugging you about doing an Over the Garden Wall (laughs) episode so that uh, I could finally have a soapbox.
0: And 97 episodes I, I later, think, we're doing it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and I think it's, it's really good. I think whenever the Starbucks pumpkin spice latte announcements <laughs> go out, everyone should be a little more excited because then you can start watching Over the Garden Wall again. It's like, oh, it's time. Right? I think that's a good like societal indicator for it. I'd compare it more
0: to like maple because maple's the new thing that's catching on and it's going to be more popular than pumpkin spice. Pumpkin spice is like Garfield Halloween special and maple's is the new wave, the over the garden walls of Halloween specials. The David's pumpkins of Halloween
2: specials. Like a maple latte.
0: Yeah. Like just putting maple in coffee. First of all, hashtag so Canadian. Tim Hortons did it first. Love it. I am swear by maple syrup in my coffee. Everyone on the podcast is thinking right now. We're not just like intentionally <laughs> leaving space blank.
2: Yeah, I mean I think it works. It works in Halloween mode. I think it works in November too, because it just has like that whole autumnal vibe and it even gets a little bit towards winter at the end. So I think you can you know stretch it into whatever part of the season you want.
0: It's true. It's a whole
2: journey. <laughs>
0: Foreshadowing. <laughs> <laughs> so uh Phil, tell me what did you what were your like Top level emotions—the first time you watched this show, what stuck with you from it that made you love it so much?
2: I think um, I mean I, I'm a sucker for for like, come, like coming of age stories. I know ever since I was a little kid, my dad, I grew up with my dad reading me the original Pinocchio and taking me to see Pinocchio, and and he would always like hammer home that like coming of age like mythos in my mind. And so it, it kind of always sets off alarms when I when I see it, and and it always it really pulls me in. Um, I think I definitely identify a lot with Wirt as a character. Um, when I was growing up, I definitely had the same uh, extreme anxiety that I see in him, <laughs> and mm-hmm. that I definitely saw rewatching for this podcast. Um, and yeah, I think it was really cool to see kind of a modern reinterpretation or a modern homage to a lot of classic American animation, which I hadn't had as much exposure to. I definitely watched it growing up, but it doesn't get called back to as often as other... You know, types of animation, other other things. So it's it's cool that there's finally uh, like a high quality piece of work that that gives um, some of that older stuff some exposure, and, and it's due in a modern time.
0: So we're talking like the I'm I'm picturing specifically like the third to last episode, like the Babes in the Wood with like the weird, like poorly drawn, like floating head figure things.
2: Yeah, the like the rubber hose animation. Ugh. And yeah, that and even the, the, the tavern, I think I, I, a lot of mm-hmm. di- characters there are referencing different animation, like the tavern keeper is like very clearly a be, like a Betty Boop character. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, not, not necessarily characters I was super into growing up, but still want, it, it's cool to see like, you know, from a historical perspective, you know, the,
1: mm-hmm. uh, those references.
0: And Chris this is your first time seeing it right
1: you're you're absolutely right it's my first time seeing slash hearing about it so
0: well I mean I've I've been bugging you as much since the beginning of the podcast as Phil's been bugging me about it too
1: well sure <laughs> but but I, I've been also forgetting it too so it feels like the first time i've I've heard about it every every time you tell me it feels like the first time <laughs> it's new every time it's new every for the first time,
0: time. <laughs> no. so what what stuck with you from this wonderful thing?
1: Uh, the There's a lot to unpack for me. I mean, I noticed right away trying to figure out time period and what it was trying to reference. And so I started asking just a ton of questions. So for me, it was questions rising and rising and rising and telling them to wait and just explore with it because the more you ask questions the more you won't get answers from the show which is lovely until it finally does give you all the answers in a single episode um well or like three episodes really um three chapters i guess because it's five episodes ten chapters so the final i think four three or four chapters are the ones that give you all the answers but for me it was just being on this ride and asking lots of questions and writing the tonal shifts between it. So each episode running the gamut between here's something really scary. Here's something really emotional. Here's something really funny. Here's something really, you know, just having that ride and asking why or what or who, or just constantly asking when is this happening? So for me, it was just a, a, big bundle of questions on the journey which i found really striking and great because it didn't stop me from watching it just was building and building building just
2: it does such a good job of pulling you into the world and the mystery like when it starts off you just see these you know figures walking out of the fog and it's a guy with a gnome hat and a cloak and a kid with a teapot on his head and and they're not really that alarmed they're just walking along like oh we need to get home and and then over time you you you're like okay so we're in a fantasy world and then a part about you know middle way through that you start getting these little references where it's like wait like is he talking about like the real world and then all of a sudden right we at the end we get those reveals like oh this is in the real world and we're not at all where we thought we were
0: i did like the references to i forget some of the specific pop culture things that they reference but it's the first time watching it, I felt like desensitized from DreamWorks movies of like they're gonna say things that are true in my life, but not true in the world of the movie, and they don't make any dramaturgical sense. Like I was prepared for that to just be what was happening, mm. and you you do realize over time like they're actually referencing the real world that's out there beyond like the unknown, the woods that they're in.
1: Yeah, the DreamWorks effect. I think we should coin, <laughs> coin that somehow. But there's Mac- lots of DreamWorks effects. I know, I'm just saying, The there's like, never mind. Just, just forget it. Mackenzie, do you want to take us through a little bit about where this is coming from, where Over the Garden Wall came from, history-wise?
0: Um, so Phil probably knows more about this than I do. Um, I know that it was a short before it got filmed. Like many Cartoon Network things, it was a short that got picked up and turned into this thing. Um,
1: well, Phil, yeah, it, yeah go right. it was,
2: yeah, it was yes. a, originally uh, a short called Tome of the Unknown, which, um, obviously, you know, references the, the place that they're in. And they're in the same place in the original short. It's just more of like a one off adventure, um, a little bit more whimsical. And it's on YouTube on the, the Cartoon Network channel if you want to watch it. It doesn't explicitly tie in, but it is the same characters and it is still like Elijah Wood and I think the same kid voices Gregory as well. Um, and from and Patrick McHale, I think he, he definitely worked on marvelous misadventures of Flapjack. I want to say he was involved with Adventure Time as well, though I'm not sure he was when uh, yeah. what capacity. Um, so that's you know, he already has his roots in Cartoon Network, and then that's where the the miniseries came from. Uh, it's you know, it's spun off into um, some comics as well, though I don't think I've read any of them. Um, so it's got a little bit of a following uh, kind of outside of the miniseries kind of ongoing.
0: Do you know do the comics pick up like after the conclusion of the story is it more like adventures in the middle
2: there's yeah there's a mix there's adventures in the middle and then I think they have continued outward I was actually just doing a little bit of reading up on it yesterday um, where they I have I don't know enough because I, I should probably track them down and actually read them but uh, I think there's a little bit of a continuation with um, with Greg and Wirt afterwards but also I think they tell the story of the woodsman's daughter before. Mm-hmm. She gets captured by the Beast, so definitely something to look into, I would I would say, at least for, for me. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Uh,
0: in this, I think that the miniseries won an award, right? It is the first miniseries Cartoon Network produced, and it is award-winning, question mark?
1: Yes, it won, in 2015, it won the Emmy Award for Outstanding Animated Program.
0: And I would say much deserved, like beyond... The skill animation and everything they're referencing, just the story that they tell, um, is perfect for miniseries, first of all. Like, it has a lot of an episodic feel to it, but it is a complete journey for the main character, which I would say is Wirt.
2: Well, yeah, and it's... <laughs> it's, it's I was just going to say, it's something um, that they hadn't done before, and I don't think they've done again. Like, they just... It was this... they. Touted it as you know this special limited edition miniseries that they ran, and then I don't know if they've done another one of any kind since. So it's definitely unique.
1: I think the closest thing is possibly Samurai Jack. You know, the most recent Mm. season is probably the closest thing that they've done to a miniseries, although it's essentially a season of that show. But really, in the end, it's a miniseries finale of that show. Yeah, more self-contained. Exactly. So, um, with that being said about it being a miniseries, why a miniseries versus a regular TV show versus a film? What are the things that a miniseries offers that either of those two other mediums or frameworks don't? And why does it work for Over the Garden Wall to be a miniseries? I think it works. Like Ken was saying,
2: um, a it's a self-contained story. I think it, it has a pretty clearly defined beginning, middle, and end. And I don't think, of course, there's always that, w- you know, we'd love to return to these worlds that we love so much, but there's not really a lot of dangling threads that, that bear a really ongoing story. Um, for movies, I mean, I personally, there are plenty of times when, You see, not even outside of animation. I don't want to, won't go too far down that rabbit hole, but just (laughs) situations where, like you know, they try to cram this huge story into two or you know three hours, where really you could do so much more with a little bit of a longer format, as long as you're basically explaining that it's a miniseries. So I think it's it doesn't get used very much at all in animation, but you know HBO does does great with it. Um, And it's when it's done properly and it's you know strategically, it it gives you a chance to tell a quality self-contained story, but just a little bit longer, but basically inviting people to break it up in a logical way without forcing them to sit through, you know, like a six-hour movie or something like that.
0: Yeah, I I agree with all that. And I think to add on to that, I see the benefit of this being a miniseries versus a show uh, because it does give you so much mystery, as we've been talking about, with so little answers at the beginning. If you made it longer, I think it would this is going to sound really bad, uh, go into the Lost Effect. And I can say that <laughs> <laughs> both I and Sound Engineer Naji Agicotino on our show are huge Lost fans. So that's not an insult to Lost. It's just I, I don't want to see Over the Garden Wall as like a six season <laughs> animated adventure with this mystery of the beast and the unknown and all this crazy stuff. I don't want to see that. I just like the fairy tale that it is.
1: So I, I suppose that with a miniseries, much like, you know, um, longer form things, you end up with a single question that you can, you know, um, enrich and expand upon and then either answer or not answer by the end of it. <laughs> um, and the miniseries allows it to be compact yet full. So you can reduce it to a single question, and I think there are about three questions that Over the Garden Wall asks you to consider. Um, but as it goes through, it's it's I'm going whether it's going to answer those questions or not. It would then have to either leave those questions unanswered for multiple seasons, or answer them and find new questions. And I think that's exhausting to continually find new questions if this is going to stay in this mystery form.
0: Okay, I think that's a good jumping-off point into like what the show's about and talking about some of these characters and their journeys. So, Chris, you mentioned three questions. Do, do you have three questions you would say it asks?
1: Or were you, or, or was I just making up a number and, and just coming up <laughs> with uh, the kinds of questions?
0: I, it's the unknown. I guess we'll never know until
1: episode... Eight. So, okay, three questions. The first question that it starts to ask is, where are we? That's the very first okay. question is, where are we? What is this world? As encapsulated in one question.
0: If we're getting technical, I think the first question it asks is, what is the best name for this pet frog? Second question, <laughs> wow.
1: where are we? Wow, okay, sure, fine. <laughs> um, <laughs> two, who are, who are we? Who mm-hmm. who who am I? Who are we? That kind of question about identity, which goes into the name of the frog. That's part of that. Who who are <laughs> these people? And <laughs> all encapsulated. And then the third question is: Will they get home, or slash, where is home?
0: That's the will they or won't they?
1: Yeah. So where are we? Who are we? And will we ever return to where we're supposed to be, or where we started from?
0: Phil, do you agree? Are there more questions than that? Less questions?
2: Uh, yeah, I mean, those are those are definitely the overarching questions. I mean, my question that I was reading as I was, you know, doing more of a close watch through in preparation was really. When is work going to get his act together? I think that's the big question. But, <laughs> but that doesn't, we don't really know that that's the question until we get that flashback towards the end, because otherwise we're just seeing his general behaviors. Um, that was the question for me, but I think that ties into, you know, who are we and when are we going get, to get home? Because I think we, we see like Word isn't going to be able to go home until he kind of crosses this threshold and gets his act together and starts taking responsibility for his actions.
0: I 100% agree with that. And I will say, watching it the second time, knowing that that was coming, it was easier to see the beats leading up to it through the entire course of the show of like, I the thing I went into it looking for my second, my second watching was, when does Wirt first say we, in reference to like him and Greg doing something? Because the entire show, he like blames Greg for wandering off. Greg is his own human who's just following Wirt and Wirt does not care. I was looking for the first time Wirt describes him as a unit trying to achieve something together which is like the 6th or 7th episode
1: mm-hmm.
0: about where you'd expect it to fall. End of Act 3 of a 5-act structure.
1: <laughs> do you want to go through... End of Act f- 2
0: of a 3-act structure.
1: Would you like to go through a 5-act structure? What that oh, is?
0: Oh, we don't have to do that. So 5-act structure, I'm, I'm just completely going to wing it, I guess. Um, going back to like the Shakespearean <laughs> theory of the 5-act structure. In the first act, you meet some people and find out the problem. In the second act, the problem deepens in the third act things kind of come to a head that's where the turning point happens where something must be done in order to resolve the problem and four is like the the climax of trying to resolve that problem with whatever you started doing at the end of act three and then five is like what we'd call the epilogue for the most part i think mm-hmm. usually like the character's arc finishes in act five after like the the plot f- finished in act four
1: and in a lot of ways, like the first and fifth are mirrors of each other. So you have the world as it is, and now you're living in, here's how the world has changed. Now you're in the changed world after everything that you've been in. So it's mm-hmm. resetting the new normal. And I suppose that if, you were, if it were a film, that would hopefully be the first act of the next film.
0: Yeah. And in the Jungian... Jungian, Hero with a Thousand Faces. Is that the right author, Carl Jung? For Hero with a uh, Thousand isn't Faces. Isn't that
1: Joseph Campbell?
0: Joseph Campbell. I knew it was somebody who wasn't Carl Jung, but I just want <laughs> to say like, Carl Jung.
1: Like, am I missing something? Go ahead.
0: Okay, so Joseph Campbell's Hero with a Thousand Faces. Sorry, Joe, on our first name basis. Um, he writes about, like, at the, at the end of, like, a fairy tale whimsical adventure when you go into another world, like, you have the choice of either staying in that world... Or going home. And I think that over the garden wall like puts that choice like front and center at the end. Once you're like realizing what the unknown is, like will he choose to stay here or will he choose to get his act together, as Phil says, (laughs) and go
1: home. And although isn't the choice kind of made for him a little bit?
0: I think a Little, a little bit. That's, where, little that's bit. where the beats are, I think. So you do get Wirt describing him and Greg as a unit prior to the, the like, act four of this, where everything kind of comes to a head in the flashback as he's essentially... Wirt and Greg, like, lay down to take a, br- a rest, essentially. And then Greg has this magical, like, fever dream induced by the beast to, like, be part of his plan, which is a whole thing. Um, and then in the next episode, we see Wirt. I, I envision this flashback episode as Wirt remembering slash dreaming what happened prior to the adventure to tie to the action. It's not just we as an audience are seeing the flashback. I think it's him kind of reliving that as well. Because right. one of the first questions he asks is, how did we get here? So as much as I hate when characters remember something to realize something, it kind of fits in this world. I'm willing to believe
2: it so no, well, what's I, I, go ahead phil yeah. uh, i think the the remembering piece i think that really fits because when he when he wakes up and he he starts heading out because he realizes right he has to re- rescue greg he says um the the bird mother says you know you're no good to him sick or something or you're no good to him dead and then he says oh, i was no good to him uh i was never any good to him alive either so mm-hmm. he was definitely really ruminating on on how he'd been treating greg up to that point which is what led them into that situation to begin with
0: and i think that he does forget like the endangerment of greg's life like right immediately before they get into the unknown so spoilers for the show (laughs) turn back now if you have not watched this um but of course the spoiler is the flashback is they're at like a 1980s question mark time setting, and uh, they're, it's like Halloween night, and Wirt wants to go to a party, and his stepbrother, Greg, is like trick-or-treating slash stealing rocks from their neighbor's garden. <laughs> like you do. Um, and they think they're in the trouble with the police, so they jump over a garden wall. <gasps> I said the name of the show. Um, and then they argue for a minute, and then tumble down a hill after they're almost run over by a train and fall into this frozen river. And that's when the show begins, and they're entering through the fog into the unknown, this kind of weird purgatory, afterlife-y transitional thing as it seasonally goes from fall to winter, fittingly.
2: It gets really real, like, just before they, they fall into the river. Um, it's, you know, we, we've, in that episode, we see, okay, we're in the real world. This is real world problems, real teen anxiety. Um even though Word is like so far beyond anxious when he's <laughs> running around all the place freaking out everyone's just like oh hey Word how you doing like and he's like oh my god everybody hates me um <clears throat> he like, really lashes out at Greg just before they they dodge that train where he starts lashing out against him and then it's actually against his dad because his mom remarried and Greg is his half brother and it's just you just get a little piece of that but that's all you need after that whole uh saga of you know s- more more microaggressions between two brothers, then you kind of get to the root of what the the real problem is with War, and then they they jump out of the way of the train and, and and that's where the adventure starts
0: So my question for you, Phil, is one thing I've heard this described as, and I would credit the online blog of much authority, whatever it is if I knew which one I read this on but I've heard <laughs> over the garden wall described as the millennial fairy tale
2: okay so. I so in, in the sense that it's is a it is a, a fable of sorts it's teaching you a lesson and using fantastical means to to get you there but it's doing it in a slightly more modern context.
0: I like the way you like asked a long question to get to the answer. Yes.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean that that makes sense. It's it's definitely got those inspirations again like you know the Grimms fairy tales and and all that kind of um, tra- those trappings about it, and it definitely has a little bit more of a modern sensibility to it. Um, you know, there there is a, definitely a Cartoon Network sense of humor, although they definitely don't go overboard with it, which is great. Like Greg is obviously a funny character, and he says a lot of silly things, but it's never so much that you think they're pandering to kids, uh, which I definitely appreciate because that that can definitely take me out of something. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think that that's pretty accurate, and it definitely hopefully will will live on in that in that way as time as time progresses
0: i mean i can't think of any other comparable like millennial fairy tale air quotes type things um but when you hear that i hear those two words together to describe this i'm like this is really what it is i feel i think whatever the author was on whatever blog this was (laughs) was going for (laughs) God, I'm sorry, Internet. I'm letting you down.
1: Was that on the um, com?
0: I don't know if that was that one or not, honestly. Because he, did, I do have a link to the Mary Sue written down.
1: He did mention a lot about millennials and how it defines millennials because millennials are asking who they are and what they're about, and it's. I just wanted to reach through my screen and just go. Seriously, what is? What? What? Everyone asks those questions. <laughs> it's not a millennial question. It's a human question. It's the human condition of who are we and what are we supposed to do? Which is I mean it's the Halloween question. Who am I? Right. right. <laughs> <laughs> that's who, what who should I, I wearing? be wearing.
2: Right. Yeah.
1: You know, um, and, and the big question about and it's it's nice that they put it on Halloween because the question of Halloween is does your costume hide who you truly are, or does it reveal who you truly are? Mm-hmm. That's that's the big question about costumes. I mean, so expertly done in Batman Returns, you know, which is the disguise and which is the reality? <laughs> is the mask the truth? I've never wow. done such
2: significant self-examination on Halloween before. Okay, well just But I'm just, sure just other people in. do. <laughs>
0: <laughs> just Chris, you've had you've had a, a well, I mean, that's you're not a millennial. You know to ask us questions. Phil and I, we just we have to be told by Over the God Wall that these are the questions we should be asking.
2: <laughs> While we're in the midst of killing countless markets and eating avocado toast. Oh, man. That delicious avocado <laughs> toast.
1: That would be the best Halloween costume. Like somebody could go as like a bread toast and somebody could go as an avocado. And together, <gasps> it's like millennials.
0: I do need a Halloween costume.
1: Well, and the immortal words of the demigod, Maui, you're welcome.
0: <laughs> Where was I going with this? Anyway, that's, that's what somebody on in the internet, possibly the Mary Sue, I don't know, <laughs> describes this as. Well, and I feel like that's accurate.
1: Can we Can we unpack fairy tales? Can we just talk about fairy tales, not over the garden wall as a fairy tale, but just fairy tales and talk about what they are what the structure of them are, to see if it even fits that definition. Because to be a millennial fairy tale, it has to be a fairy tale first and foremost. So what is a fairy tale?
0: Let's do that, yes. Um, for me, before we talk about like what the structure of a fairy tale is, I feel like fairy tale, like you fairy tale, you get excited, like, ooh, fairy tale, there's magic in it, and there's going to be adventure, great. <laughs> but it's a lie. It's like feeding your dog a pill wrapped in cheese. Cheese... <laughs> Is the word fairy in the title of fairy tale? It's a morality story is what it is. A short thing about morality is what a fairy tale is. But you call it a fairy tale to make it exciting, to make people want to hear it. That's my
2: two cents. Fairies are not always nice in fairy tales. That's what I learned at the gay bar the other night. Wow. I tried.
0: I tried. I was really like reaching for that reference. It's okay for me to say that. Anyway.
2: I think yeah. For me, what always sticks with me with fairy tales is that they're never quite as like nice and shiny as you remember them being. They're they're definitely much grimmer and much more gruesome. Um, Mm -hmm. And and you know, again, we're 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 on Cartoon Network, so we're not going to go all the way off the deep end there. But we definitely uh, there's definitely scary moments and there's definitely unsettling things and they're definitely in danger. So it's I think it definitely fits the bill in terms of not really uh, pulling punches to uh, to to coddle someone when you're trying to teach them a
1: lesson. Well, and I think a lot of our misconceptions about fairy tales are, you know, have animation to blame for for that. So maybe this is animation reclaiming the fairy tale for the darkness and the morality <laughs> and the horror that's actually part of it. Um, I mean, if you look at just the the fairy tale of Cinderella, the original Grimm. Is very grim. It has a lot of violence. There's blood. It's it's really gross stuff that happens where the stepsisters cut off parts of their feet to fit the slipper, and you know. But it's just silliness in in the Disney version. And I think we've gotten away from. And I mean, here here's a society thing. We've got away from reading things. And just get get <laughs> spoon-fed these, these other f- forms of media that we don't have to revisit so people can be upset when something's darker when they haven't looked at the source material and seen. No, that's just really scary stuff. I don't know why I own that book, you know?
0: <laughs> I feel like there's some kind of specific reference that you're trying to make here.
1: <laughs> no, I was just... When we bought Grimm's Fairy Tales and started reading them... To ourselves before we started read them to our son, we were like, "Yeah, wow, this is." I forgot that this is the actual stories. Let's just watch the Disney version and be okay with, you know, with life just in general. Oh, like the, you,
0: Oh, sorry. Go ahead. The Phil.
1: the example that always st- stuck with me, like
2: I said, Pinocchio was big for me growing up. Um, You know, in in the Disney movie, Pinocchio is this happy-go-lucky guy with a top hat and a cane, and he dances around and sings songs. And then in the actual book, uh, he's a regular Cricket. He shows up, and he starts talking to Pinocchio to get him to to straighten up, and Pinocchio just kills him with a hammer (laughs) almost immediately.
0: (laughs) Jiminy Cricket, like, is it really in the story? He's just smashed by a hammer? Yeah,
2: and then he comes back as a ghost later. (laughs) (laughs) What?
1: Uh, Cricket side. Cricket side? Uh,
0: I don't know. uh, (laughs) See, when you say cricket side, I think like I'm sitting in the stands watching a cricket match. Cricket side. (laughs)
1: Hmm, I don't think that's the thing. Okay. We'll have to ask our UK listeners.
0: (laughs) Very well. So, so, do we f- well, I was gonna say, do we feel like this this is or is not a fairy tale? I think it fits everything for me so far.
2: Yeah, I agree. I think, like we said, it's definitely dark. it's definitely. Uh, not pulling its punches, and it's it's teaching a lesson at the end. There's definitely, you know, it's adapted right for for uh, animation and for for the miniseries format, which was not the uh, part of the original conception of fairy tales. So there's a little bit more of a mystery um, pulling you through, and there's a little bit more there more vignettes almost, right? The different episodes where they kind of go to a place, have a little adventure, and then continue along their way. But I think again, if we're talking about that modern adaptation, then that's just uh, changing the format to fit the, the times and the audience.
1: Definitely. Cause if, if it is going to be, I would call it a modern fairy tale before I called it a millennial fairy tale.
0: <laughs> Such disdain. Oh, it's,
1: just, it's just frustrating.
0: <laughs> uh, okay. So let's talk about our, our heroes here. We have worked and Greg stepbrothers. Um, in addition, we get uh, Beatrice the Bluebird. And we also have Jason Funderburger the Frog, the eventual name they settle on for the frog, who's along with them the entire time. And then we also have Fred for two episodes, Fred the Horse. I don't know if he's really part of this hero's conversation, but he's in two episodes <laughs> out of 10. That's 20%. Uh, so what do you guys think of our, our main characters? What what resonates well with you in their interaction
2: for me i I think and i've touched on it already that the relationship between the brothers i think is very well realized um Mm -hmm. there's definitely comic moments between them there's good banter there's um there's real moments as we start to see along the way there's definitely some friction between them as there would be between any you know younger uh like older brother who's in his teenage years and his and is you know so over things, and his younger brother who is still super happy go lucky and loves to just have fun and have adventures. Um, oh, what was I gonna say? Um, <laughs> the oh, I remember. So the the thing that that uh, struck me from early on is definitely just how much uh, Greg looks up to wart Even for him, obviously the the brother half brother thing is not an issue. He probably doesn't really he's not at the age where that's a, a conception for him. So he early on, uh, one thing that struck me is that the moment in the first episode where they're, um, they're being threatened by the, the large scary dog who is not, who's a beast, but not the beast. Very important. Um, where Wurt just yet. Yeah, he, he yells, run, 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 run. He just like very authentically afraid runs out. And then Greg runs after him, just going run, 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 run. Like he's just <laughs> saying what Wurt says, because that's what little brothers do. And he doesn't quite understand the, the gravity of the situation. He's just having a good time.
0: I love with that same episode, Wirt is talking about a plan of like possibly knocking out the woodsman. And they just, he's like, no, no, let's not do that idea. And then like the rest of the scene, you just see Greg going around, like picking up blunt objects and swinging them without any explanation. <laughs> and as soon as the beast, or I'm sorry, the dog beast breaks in, the woodsman's about to like hit him with an ax. And Greg is like, hits the woodsman and knocks him out with a blunt object. Like I did our plan. Like, no, why would you do that? <laughs>
1: I think it, it, it lands a nice juxtaposition. I mean, they between the two of them, auto, you automatically have visually the juxtaposition of Wirt being very tall, thin, even with his um, David the Gnome-esque hat, um, <laughs> big pointy gnome hat. I mean, everything about him is straight and to a point. And then you have Greg, who's cuddly, teddy bear-ish with a teapot on his head Um, very much changed that way but the one thing that i was describing to my wife when when i was just describing why i liked greg is the fact that he takes everything at face value if you tell him what something is that's the way it is and that's the way it's going to be and he takes it at Face value that oh that's the reality and doesn't see the normal things or societal norms being in the way. He doesn't see the normal obstacles that Wurt sees. Oh, we can't go to that party because we weren't invited. Mm -hmm. The only obstacles
2: that that you that you build yourself over time as you, you know, get laughed at and made fun of and you become more, a more anxious person and more aware of your, the
1: consequences of your actions. Exactly. All Greg sees is the doors open so we could just walk in. That's, that's all he sees. He sees an open door, but to Wirt, he sees it as completely closed off. Like This is an impossible situation that we've come up against. I cannot get into this party because nobody said that I could go in. And Greg seeing the reality of the door is open, I'm just gonna <laughs> go. So there's and
0: jer- everyone there is like super excited to see Word too. Like <laughs> oh Word, you made it.
1: Which I'm it's like, like obviously you're here. Like you I in didn't invite him, or maybe he didn't get it, or you know, it's it's like Charlie Brown Halloween special all over again. You know, was he <laughs> actually invited to the party, or was he a- mistakenly sent this? As Lucy says, you know, you got sent the invitation incorrectly. I don't. I don't know. I was only ever invited to one Halloween party in my life, so were there Halloween parties like not through school? Um, I don't know because I wasn't invited to any except for one. So they're probably, in my mind, were annual, fun. Halloween parties happening without me being invited.
0: I went trick-or-treating like through junior year of high school, so I didn't miss out on anything.
1: Oh, I didn't say I missed out on things. I'm just saying there weren't <laughs> parties that I was invited to.
0: So you weren't invited and you don't care because you didn't miss out.
1: Yeah, I, I dressed up as the mask and went out on my own parties, okay. <laughs> I'm gonna wear the skin tight unitard and be the Riddler and I'm going through my neighborhood dressed like this (laughs)
0: uh i can't get that image out of my head
1: (laughs) i love batman forever that's the second Uh, batman movie reference this (laughs) episode say that
0: that's two for four for like 80s 90s batman movies can we get the other two in here somehow
1: we'll find out today
0: (laughs) (laughs) um so let's also i want to talk about beatrice because we've hardly talked about her at all like, I know I alluded earlier, I don't think that she's a main main character. I think she's like a foil to Wirt, because she's, she encountered a problem and is immediately pursuing something to fix it, as we learn later. Whereas Wirt's just kind of like constantly struggling over what to do to fix his problem.
1: I feel like she's Wirt in another way, though. Because Wirt is so self, self-centered in trying to fix the problem, he's not watching out for Greg. Beatrice is so in- self-involved in her problem, she's willing to sacrifice other people to be able to solve her problem. So I feel like she's just wort from another egg. Like, she's... Uh, I'm just... And- I, I think that the two of them are the same coin, different size of the same coin, just not looking out for people. She is, yes, more actively trying to get what she wants, but it's at the expense of other people.
2: And we get the sense that she, when it's revealed, when they get to Adelaide's house, that um, she didn't quite understand the the true ramifications of what she was doing, but at the same time, she was willing to overlook that because she so desperately needed to solve
1: her own problems. And granted, she's trying to solve the problems of her entire cursed family, of bluebirds. <laughs> but in the same way, you know, Wirt is trying to also save his brother to get them both home. But it's, it's the same, very self centered, self minded path, and they're both taking The problems are self inflicted right. in both cases. Mm-hmm. Absolutely.
0: And I guess Beatrice does also, she kind of gives up on solving her problem and decides to help Greg and Wirt and then ultimately realizes that she didn't need to give up because Wirt had the magic scissors all along. So she does they, do this selfless act.
2: And they probably would have helped her if she had just asked.
0: Yeah. Which I think they say, you didn't ask, and I was mad at you. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. Okay. As a side note Beatrice's character, I just love like the epilogue where they flash to some of the characters you've seen throughout the main series. that she has the dog from the first episode... I just really enjoy that. Like, the dog had a happy home with Beatrice. Aw. <laughs> was it her dog to begin with, or she adopted it? I don't know, but she has it. She's got that good boy.
1: <laughs> and I, I think for me, she was... I I enjoyed her progression. If, If anything, it's a good way... To teach young kids about subtext. it's <laughs> like, on. As a writing tool, check, watching the episodes where she's starting to lead them, realizes what she's doing and probably wants to stop them from going there. It's a great way to have a character say what they don't mean in order to say mm-hmm. what they actually do mean. So it's just... A great lesson on subtext and yeah it's really um obvious to adults but i think it's like for the adult the question is what is she trying to to protect them from it's like well what's the danger because we know she's not fooling anybody really but for kids i think it'd be a nice way like this is subtext this is mystery this is how you develop it This is how you have a character say one thing and mean something else. So I was just really overjoyed by that moment. Like, oh, I could show this to young kids who are interested in interesting scene writing and show them that dialogue is not just about characters saying what they think or making a snide joke or making a pop culture reference or any of the other (laughs) things that the people think dialogue is. It's actually... Characters doing action by saying something. So, and again, I appreciated, I appreciated the dialogue in, in these.
0: Yeah, it is, it's very fitting for the characters and the ages, and we haven't had like a, a writer's give animated fanboy minute in a while, but like, Elijah Wood really delivers. Every time he I de- see Elijah Wood thing, I'm like, oh, Elijah Wood, you're a really fantastic actor.
2: And he he's done a, a little bit of other voice acting, and he definitely kills it in this. I think he was in the um, the Tron animated series that was like short-lived after the Tron re- uh, sequel
1: movie. Yes, which was really good.
0: The sh- sequel movie or the animated series?
1: I could go with yes.
0: <laughs> that that's is my answer
1: for another, another podcast that is, that is that's my answer <laughs> but Tron Uprising was, was really terrific Tron Uprising was great hmm. I wish they had had a second season so the giant cliffhanger could have been resolved but but, uh, but I was also uh, impressed
2: by the, the voice acting I don't remember the name of the actor who plays Greg but he's he's an actual little kid he's not like a woman pretending to be a little kid, <laughs> uh, which is, you know, pretty common in animation. Cause you know, you need reliable people to, to do the job. But, uh, yeah. he, he kills it. He does not come off as a, he as a, like a annoying little kid. He really like nails the, the balance between, you know, that over enthusiastic little kid who's definitely annoying to your older brother, but to the audience is just funny and a good, uh, foil
1: for word. Yeah. I believe that child actors can go from, Peanuts performances to like Haley Joel Osmond. Like that's, that's, that's where you get it. He, he hits it on the, on the classic Haley level. He, he was really terrific. He didn't go peanuts kids because peanuts kids where you can tell there's an adult telling them how to read the line, <laughs> how to say the line. <laughs> and even Charlie. then they get really stuck. So I'm so upset ARGH! <laughs> yeah,
0: it's like kind of charming because it is just kids like reading script like a school play which is what I like about Peanuts.
1: Which I, I really enjoy the story of Sally. Just she couldn't read so they would just tell her what the line was but they had to feed it to her in a couple of words at a time. So they had to like cut together each sentence was like three li- three words Cut together with another take of three words with another take of three words, which totally oh, wow. makes sense why her performance sounds the way it does. Yeah. I just want what's coming to me. I just want my fair share. Oh. Shut <laughs> up.
0: <laughs> okay. Um, man. Okay. Hang on. I know there's some other stuff that I wanted to mention. There's all these kooky characters we haven't talked about yet, like hardly at all.
2: In fact, And also s- some oh. great voices there, too. Who
0: voices some of those people? I've, I didn't do my research. We, got, we
1: have Christopher Lloyd in there. As, so Lloyd is one of them? As the woodsman. As the woodsman.
2: Mm-hmm. Oh. And yeah. uh, John Cleese plays two characters. He plays Endicott, the, the rich guy, the yeah. tea guy, uh, and he plays uh, Adelaide the, the <laughs> evil evil woman of the woods not the good woman of the woods and yeah.
1: um we have tim oh, curry ahead. as um auntie whispers
0: is that tim curry
1: that is tim curry
0: oh my god tim curry and john cleese as like the sister which is just gave me all like the miyazaki vibes
1: yeah yeah i definitely when i saw the little thumbnail to choose that episode with anti-whispers, I was like, oh, we're going full-on Miyazaki in this one. <laughs>
0: and it truly was full-on Miyazaki. It,
1: it really, really felt like an American Miyazaki <laughs> film, short 11-minute film.
0: If it could then away down to the good parts. Oh. Oh, I know. I am in the minority here. I know this. Um, so Phil, do you think that all of these secondary characters in the woods, are they dead?
2: That's a, <laughs> that's a great question. Um, they, I, I think it seems like everyone has a reason for being there. Maybe I know the, the biggest red flag for, for the theory that they're dead is that, uh, in the flashback for, um, Wirt and Greg in the real world, when they're in the graveyard, hiding before they they get caught by that police officer they're hiding behind a gravestone that says quincy endicott which is the name of the the tea guy so you could say that that's pretty concrete proof that they're dead and obviously that would feed very very well into the you know the whole afterlife um theme that that kind of goes through all the episodes uh i don't know personally how i feel about it but i feel like you could make a strong case that either they're dead and they live there now or maybe they're there for a time and maybe they'll find their way out depending on their situation like for example like beatrice's whole family like not really sure what their deal is because they seem like a nice normal family when they're not bluebirds but <laughs> i guess maybe they're dead maybe they're not i don't know carbon monoxide I, I can,
0: <laughs> yeah they may not all be dead but it definitely got like in the the Pottsfield episode like the second episode yeah um they reveal like part of the the thing there is they're digging holes in the ground they don't know why and like see skeletons pop out and become the residents of the town and they're like we're so glad you could join us again it kind of felt like they're digging up people like they get buried on one side and then they go to like the upside down slash unknown and they <laughs> dig a, a reverse uh, grave and they come out
2: and Pottsfield is a reference to potter's field which is an old-timey word for like a graveyard for poor people basically
0: <laughs> yeah Oh, that's really interesting.
1: Huh. Hmm. The, I mean, the question for me is, to answer, are those, all those other characters dead? We have to ask, are Wirt, are Wirt and Greg, are they dead and passing You know, on that line where they're about to pass over to the actual afterlife? and its actual physical place or are they having crazy dreams are they in a dream world so if they are passing over and touching on an afterlife t- kind of place that they're both physically there which the epilogue seem to tell you that yes something physically happened because
0: what well, kind of like implies that they were there In the woods,
1: right. The frog has a glowing stomach, so it assumes that they both have a shared recollection of the things happening. They both had a shared experience, and also the frog actually physically had a a glowing thing that it ate. So it's (laughs) it's it's still it's showing that there's evidence that they were physically somewhere. so to answer the question of, are there, all those people dead? They're either dead or dying, I would suppose.
0: Or That's kind of what I'm inclined to go with, too.
1: If, if they're not, then they're all just manifestations of worth, Because don't they say in dreams that everybody in there is just a different version of you trying to solve a problem?
0: Well, what I got out of it is that a lot of the kooky characters they meet are manifestations of things that are really scary to children. And we're just growing out of those things and becoming a young adult in this Bildungsroman story. Like, we have, like, a scary dog. Yes, that's something that young kids are afraid of. Um, Skeletons, scary inanimate objects. Um, School... (laughs) <laughs> um, being afraid that having a job that defines you in the tavern will define the rest of your life and you'll have nothing interesting else about you. <laughs> um, or Endicott, being rich but having no one to love you. And maybe I'm stretching with that, but it kind of felt like it I'm was like, these very like childhood things.
1: Until you got to the rich fear, then I was totally with you. I don't think it's a child. You're like, oh, I'm going to be too rich. Uh. He doesn't know how to love him. He'd just be alone in a mansion. Well, the the other day, my son Jack just asked. He's like, "Are we are we rich yet?" <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, and, and my wife and I just couldn't stop laughing. <laughs> I'm like, no, I like do, that yet. <laughs> I know. It's like, it's like Why do you want to be lit? Why do you want to be rich? And he said, "So I could share my money with my friends." <laughs> Oh, you haven't been Jack. corrupted yet.
0: <laughs> oh, silly Jack.
1: Uh, but if, if you want to know what Jack's going to be like in probably two to three years, uh, you can watch Over the Garden Wall and see Greg, because that's basically <laughs> Jack randomly singing songs, going on random adventures like, hey, this is a frog hunt. Let's make this a thing. Um, let's go search for random beasts. I will play whatever game you want to play. Let's go do this. It, they just got that very, very right and real.
0: I do love the reveal of his costume too, because you're like you get the flashback episode. And you're like, oh, it's Halloween. They're dressed up. You see, work kind of dressing up and like just things that he could find. It's like okay, um, and they someone asked Greg, like, what are you? And he points at his gray tea kettle on his head. It goes, I'm an elephant. And you're just like, how can you not find that charming? It looks (laughs) nothing at all like an elephant.
2: It does. It's a perfect little kid costume.
1: Yeah, That that handle looks like a big elephant ear. And
0: I, yes, yes. When you, when you hear him say, you see, I get what from a Greg perspective, like what you were going for and what you saw. Um, (laughs) but clearly no one helped you with this Halloween costume.
1: Otherwise, the first time you see them, you start to think that, Oh, this is like a whimsical story of elves or gnomes. And he found a household object that he thinks is a hat. You know, you're like, Oh, how these whimsical characters from this other time, this other place, you think they're somehow mythological because of how they're dressed. And then, you get that reveal that no, it's Halloween and these Halloween costumes and it feels a lot like M night Shyamalan's the village where you think it's (laughs) like, Oh no, this is like back then. And it's a mystery and there's a beast and there's scary stuff. And no, it was just, it was now and they're just in a park and (laughs) they're all just dressed up in costumes. Oh, I see
0: you mentioned the village, I definitely got a lot of the episodes gave me much more of like a playwright Carol Churchill vibe, oh sure, like the first one where they're just like we have to get the trees and grind them up to make the oil. It just felt very far away, like the Carol Churchill playing, <laughs> like we're doing this thing, and everyone knows, and it makes sense in the world of this, and it's just this really creepy, strange thing that we do.
1: <laughs> it It did have very much yeah. It it did feel very far away, very much so. Uh,
0: there's a parade involved? A parade to Adelaide's? Uh,
1: yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Phil, does this remind you of anything?
2: Um, <laughs> which part? Switch,
0: any of it, I guess. <laughs>
2: <laughs> um, the I was actually really curious if the because uh, the the names of those trees are Adelwood uh, trees, and I was trying to figure out if that was a a reference to anything i don't think it is i think it's just a made-up word because i whenever i saw it referenced i would use the the lookup feature on my mac to see if i could get a definition it would always <laughs> just link me to the wikipedia article for over the garden wall so it mm. seems like it's just a uh, an original word how do they spell it i think it's spelled e-d-e-l wood edelwood
0: it's like edelweiss like the austrian plant and sound of music Edelweiss, I don't know. Edelwood. It's just, it is a very Germanic fairy tale.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Oh, what's with the turtles?
2: The evil black turtles.
0: Yeah, the, that are like evil once and then never evil again, but they're there.
2: I was wondering that too. I have no idea.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, turtles um, hide in their shells. Home is wherever they are. So for a turtle, home is within yourself. And so is safety and security. But also, if you fall on your back, you are helpless. So don't fall on your back. It's really that's the, the moral. That's the real story.
0: I guess they do fall into that frozen river with their back first. You could be onto something.
1: Mhm. It's not just... Something I'm making up on the spot, it's probably true.
0: (laughs) Just like everything we do in this podcast, we don't (laughs) make it up on the spot.
1: (laughs) Were there any things that surprised you beyond the reveals of the reality and the place? And What were the big surprises or the most delightful surprises that you had going through?
2: For me, it was definitely the, the song, the actual over the garden wall, over the garden wall song that just kind of comes out of nowhere when they're on the ferry, uh, when Jason Funderburger the Frog just suddenly decides to start singing. Um, that was definitely delightful, and it was definitely a surprise. And it doesn't really have any bearing on anything else, but it was just a very nice, like, fun, whimsical moment before the kind of the turning point where things start to get really dark and, and serious.
1: How about for you, Mackenzie? Mm.
0: I liked. I feel like I was kept on my toes of never knowing who was going to be a malicious character versus just a side character versus a helpful character. Like Auntie Whispers, with a name like that and the Miyazaki look that she has and the greasy, like, turtle eating, like, slimy mouth that she has, you would not have <laughs> expected her to be the good sister. And they, And then her assistant. What's her face? I always want to call Luna. her Lorna. I want to say Luna Lovegood, but her name is Lorna. <laughs> <laughs> Lorna being like the strange like Japanese ghost monster. I just think it's very well done. Like you'd never know who to trust in the show.
1: Mm-hmm. I think for me that that was one of the more satisfying reveals. Because I knew it was gonna happen for me. I was like, I think she's the I think Laura's is the bad person here. I think that that this is all bad. I feel like this is a setup to make us afraid of anti-whispers, but I did I did really enjoy the mystery that was going on with Greg, just going after the frog and going upstairs and having the threat and, you know, the frog eating the bell and just all that stuff going on up there just created a great tone. So,
0: it was a nice resolution to the episode. Like, no, she's not a real aunt, but we're gonna stay together because we're family. Like, that's for you, Wurt and Greg, not <laughs> brothers. Uh huh. Sure, whatever you say.
1: <laughs> and there's there's something going on with between Wurt and this, his stepfather that really needs to be fixed because he blames you and your father. Is is one thing that Wurt says definitively. This is all your fault, your fault, you and your father. Mm. So not our father, but your father specifically. And the fact that we never meet the parents. Hmm. What does it say that Wirt has feelings for somebody who dresses up like a dead clown? What do you think that says?
0: <laughs> that he has awesome taste and romantic interests.
1: <laughs> okay.
0: I also, because we were all about diversity on the show, I, am, I do like the fact that they put in the subtle diversity for her. What's her name? Sarah?
2: The cr- Sarah the Crush?
0: Yeah. Because she clearly has hands of not a white person, even though she's in like white clown makeup. Oh, she's a person of color on this cartoon show and Wirt likes her, which is great because it's like almost no people of color in the entire unknown,
1: which is true. Cause, That's true. I mean, fairy tales are <laughs> full of the horrors of white people. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's what I learned from fairy tales. That's
1: what I learned from fairy tales. Wow. Not really. Not. I feel like I have to say that now. Like, not really. But, come on.
0: <laughs> You're right. I learned that way before then.
1: <laughs> 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 <laughs>
0: oh gosh. Um, Where's
1: Chris O'Dowd when you need him?
0: Oh no. Oh. <laughs> we haven't had Chris O'Dowd in a while.
1: I know. Oh no. <laughs>
0: Um, I don't know. I don't know if I've, do we have anything else we want to say about over the garden wall philosophically or reactionarily?
2: I think the only main character we didn't really touch on is the woodsman. I don't know um, Uh, if we have any, anything to say about him.
0: I don't know what to say about him.
2: He just has issues. He does. Um, yeah, I think the the one thing that struck me going through it is, you know, he at the end when he the beast is urging him to cut down Greg as he's becoming a tree, he's he's saying, "Oh no, I like I I would I wouldn't have done it if I if I had known where these trees had come from." But I'm pretty sure everybody knows. Like in the tavern, they sing a whole song about how the beast turns you into a tree of oil to make his lantern burn. So I think he probably just didn't think too hard about it again. Maybe like Beatrice because he was trying so focused on, on saving his daughter. Um, yeah, yeah. That was what struck me this time.
0: The weird thing there for me was like in they when they do like the weird cutaways at the end of like all the kooky characters they met getting their resolutions, to their stories and like the woodsman is on his porch and then the daughter comes out of the house I don't, I don't really know like what to make of what happened there.
1: So maybe some people died and some people went back to living. So.
0: Or like, I guess my interpretation now is like the woodsman similarly, it's some kind of incident where he was on the cusp of either dying or staying alive. And he got tricked into staying in the unknown to try and keep his daughter's soul alive, even though it was never his daughter's soul. And then eventually she daughter grew old and died and then came to join him. That's, I don't know. That's my running theory.
1: Or he died so he could join her.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: I feel like that makes more sense.
0: Okay. I almost kind of wanted like Beatrice to be his daughter.
1: Well, he and Beatrice are the only characters who end up in multiple episodes that same way. So he's a constant thread going on because the beast is the initial threat and the final threat. Mm -hmm. So his story is the one that weaves itself as a constant throughout. That, yes, there's the beast out there, there's the beast out there, and that just keeps coming back and coming back as the threat that will eventually undo them.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So in talking about the woodsman, who is the beast? Is beast the beast death itself? Or the deliverer to death? Grim Reaper, however we want to see it. Because he's made up of nightmare fuel, essentially, being those screaming faces that he that the beast is made up of.
0: I think the beast is forgot is he's made up of forgotten loved ones as they turn into trees and get turned into oil, ground away into nothingness. And he's trying to get you to forget your loved ones and become self-absorbed and selfish.
2: I don't, yeah, he's definitely, um, I think, I mean, that makes sense. I, I just think of him as, as trying to get people to give up hope. And, and that one way he does that with word is he definitely like feeds into that uh, that like isolationist viewpoint that's bubbling underneath him. Like, you know, I don't need anybody. I'm better off on my own. And, and then he kind of gives into hopelessness. Like I can't help anybody. I'm useless. I'm just going to fall asleep and turn into a tree.
0: That's my first stop going to bed every night.
1: Turning into a tree?
0: Well, I'm useless to everybody, and I'll turn into a tree.
1: Okay. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm not saying that it's true. I said it's fair that you would think that. <laughs> being think a millennial being a millennial and not knowing like your real purpose in life. It's, it's good for you to have these struggles. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Every night I visit the Beast.
1: <laughs> that sounds so wrong in so many ways.
0: Anywho. Um, yeah, I feel like that covers all of, and not as much over the garden wall to cover, but I feel like that covers it all.
1: I mean, it leaves a lot of unanswered questions, which I always like in a show about mystery. I don't like everything to be answered or everything to have a this equals this. I like to that it goes on. I like that it answered plot plots, you know, where people end up. And it didn't leave those questions on where are we going, but it didn't have to answer and spell out also the beast who represented this and also the lantern that represented this and also the frogs in <laughs> clothes represented society, blah, blah. You know, it didn't have to <laughs> spell out and solve the mysteries. It, you know, it had to get people home.
2: Right. And it doesn't. it doesn't define the unknown. It doesn't do anything. It, it just basically gives us the unknown. We take the characters out of it. We... Type the loose ends, and then the unknown is still there, um, doing its thing. And then, you know, presumably for more adventures, if that ever happens. But it's right; it's not ever uh, unpacked, really. It's just it is what it is, and they came into it, and then they left it.
1: Mm-hmm. So, Mackenzie and Phil, did you have any favorite things from any of the? Ten chapters slash five episodes of Over the Garden Wall. <laughs>
2: uh, my my favorite thing was definitely, like I said, the song, the actual Over the Garden Wall song. It was just so, like I said, surprising and delightful, and it's a fun, whimsical song. I'd listen to it quite a bit actually. Now that the soundtrack is uh, available on streaming and iTunes, um, uh, my bonus favorite thing actually is is a little ran- little known or just random fact that they actually uh, this company Mondo, which produces a lot of memorabilia for popular pop culture things. Um, they, they were the ones that published the soundtrack. They also, a couple years ago created an actual cassette tape, like a replica of the four Sarah cassette, <laughs> which has actual clarinet music by the band that did the music for the show and actual spoken word poetry by Elijah
1: Wood. <laughs>
0: yes. Uh, oh, I need it. I need it <laughs> in my life. So I can listen to it every night before going to the beast. <laughs> it's so wrong Elijah Wood um, oh man I guess for me I think it's when they're in Endicott's house and it's the second Fred episode because I just really enjoy Fred I want more Fred yeah. maybe two episodes is the perfect amount
1: Fred should um, have his own show I feel
0: <laughs> and they're like like quick draw McGraw um, envious horse fact uh, they're like arguing about what to do, and like, are they going to steal from Endicott? And they're talking like, you'll go with Fred and steal things. And I think Wirt maybe says something like, "Fred's a horse; and he can do what he want. He can do what he wants to." And Fred says, "I want to steal."
1: <laughs> I, I did also enjoy. I was going to straight up rob him, which was <laughs> Beatrice's yes. line. I that that was. Uh, an interesting thing. Um, for me, it was... Uh, I'm trying to think. I think it was just the... Which which scene was it? That. I feel like it was the, the pumpkin skeletons. Mm. In
0: when Pottsfield? You,
1: in Pottsfield. I think for me, that was... Because... Yeah, the the dog beast is kind of scary. But then this is the first time when you're like, "Oh, something whimsical, these living pumpkins." And you're like, "Oh, that's kind of interesting." And then you realize that, "No, that's kind of horrifying." <laughs> <laughs> I really enjoyed that.
0: What's like, inside you? They're like, "Of course it's costumes."
1: Right. I'm like, "It's of course it's costumes. It's just scary people, it's town of people. It's either pumpkins come to life, it's people in their and then the third one is, no, it's actually dead people. Dead people are in, in the skeletons, in the skeletons in the pumpkins. It's just, it just it just went from something whimsical and dangerous to something really dark and dangerous, and I, I like that they went there. It was like, OK, I know that they can actually be scary things in this, And I appreciate that.:
0: Conclusion: Over the garden wall. Good times recommended. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Uh shall we do homework time? Let's.
1: For your homework. We're gonna continue on this October Halloween y I should say Halloween-ish. It feels a little bit better. Halloween-type exploration, and we are going to look at two Halloween specials. We're going to go back to my childhood and watch Garfield's Halloween adventure. (laughs) And also, you can watch the new Halloween special that just came out, The Mickey Mouse um, Scariest Story Ever Told. And you can see that on the new Disney Now app for free.
0: Oh yeah, Disney Now! What a great resource! I'm trying to get them to sponsor us. What a great resource! Everyone should use Disney Now. Disney (laughs) Now. Disney Who? All of it. All of them.
1: All the Disney Now.
0: Now, right now. Uh, (laughs) Phil Fine, thank you so much for joining us today. Such a pleasure.
2: Of course, thanks for having me.
0: Of course, and thank you for suggesting Over the Garden Wall and uh, exposing Chris to it for the first time.
1: Yes, thank you. I appreciate it. And Jack appreciates it, too. The oh, Jack! The last two episodes.
0: Jack watched the last two episodes, but not the first three?
1: No, he didn't. I, I like the
0: last two are the scariest. Two, I, right? was,
1: I was re-watching them with my headphones on, and he's like, I can't hear it. I'm like, no. Okay, fine. So... I let him watch him as I was re-watching it.
0: Oh, Jackathan. Oh, Jack-O-Lantern.
1: Yes. Yeah. There we go. He, he um, gets that.
0: Additional thanks, of course, always to our engineer, Nigel Cadino and to Jacob Reed for our theme music.
1: You can find us on the web, on Twitter, where you can tell us your thoughts about Over the Garden Wall, who is the beast? Hashtag who is the beast? I don't know. You probably get lots of round, wrong things if we use that hashtag. But at WG Animated, you can go to Facebook and like our page, facebook.com/WGAnimated, and we will have lots of links about the things that we talked about on our Tumblr writersgetanimated.tumblr.com. Check out the show notes there.
0: Hopefully, including whichever blog calls over the garden wall the millennial fairy tale.
1: Yes. I think it was the Mary Sue.
0: I'm going to hope it was the Mary Sue. (laughs) Anywho, uh, good night, everybody. I stole your thunder. (laughs) I was like, ah, you took it.